Hello, and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm your host, Julia Frank, and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel who actively challenges the conventional. We reflect on current systems in place, uncover the newest findings, and shine light on the areas that are still a work in progress. Together, we demystify terms and topics you might be familiar with, but never had the chance to dive into and answer the questions we didn't know to ask. I've really been loving season two so far, and if you have as well, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and share it with friends and family. It would really mean a lot to me. In this episode, I sit down with Sophie Cliff, who's also known as the Joyful Coach. Sophie helps people live their most joyful lives, whatever that means to them, through coaching, group programs, and her podcast. I absolutely loved our conversation because it is jam-packed with practical takeaways. For example, we talk about how small mindset shifts can help us find more joy in the everyday. Sophie also shares how we can uncover our personal values and how to align both our personal and our work life to align with them to live more joyous lives and show up as our authentic selves with confidence. So let's dive right into the episode. Hi, Sophie. Thanks so much for being on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yep, of course. So my name is Sophie, as you just said, also known as the Joyful Coach. And I essentially help people live their most joyful lives, whatever that means to them. And there's a lot of emphasis on the whatever that means to them, because as I'm sure we'll dig into, it looks very different for different people. But I do that via one-to-one coaching some group courses and coaching programs and also through my content. So I share lots on my blog and newsletter and I also have a podcast called Practical Positivity which does what it says on the tin basically takes some of the positive psychology and tools that I know that you're very interested in as well and breaks them down. It takes all the fluff out and strips it back into the real simple practical steps. And it's an absolutely amazing podcast. I remember I think I binged a couple of episodes <laughs> a while back. Before we dive deeper into some of these topics, why do you consider yourself as a modern day rebel? So it was really funny when you first emailed me because as we were just talking about before we kicked off this conversation, I am the most good girl person ever. I don't think anyone has ever called me a rebel in my life, which I was like, oh, I'm really proud that she's asking me to be on her modern day rebels podcast because yeah, everyone in my life would describe me as like, very good girl mentality. And that is very much how I like lived my life up until a couple of years ago, played by all the rules, did all the things that were expected of me. But I suppose the rebellious thing that has happened in the last couple of years is that I've walked away from what was on paper, a very successful corporate career working for big companies like the Walt Disney Company or tech startups. And I've sort of closed the door on that and started my own coaching practice, retrained, pivoted after 10 years of that career and did something that at the time felt very, very scary, but now I am very glad that I did. Amazing. And kind of take us back to that process of how, why did you end up walking away from it all? So I think deep down, I always had a bit of a niggle that that corporate career wasn't for me. But like I said, I had those sort of good girl tendencies. I did the very typical degree. I studied economics and then came out of that. And everyone said, you know, this will set you up for life, get on a graduate scheme, build this corporate career. And deep down, I always felt like this isn't quite right. It doesn't quite feel like me. But I always just thought it was like the circumstances, perhaps it was the certain job. And so I like, jumped around a little bit. 
And it was actually around this time four years ago, we had a really traumatic bereavement in our family. And that was a, a sort of pivotal moment for me because up until then, I'd always sort of believed that if you play by the rules, like, I don't know, I think subconsciously I thought that like someone was keeping this like scoreboard in the sky of she's done everything right and like she will get the golden ticket at the end of, you know, completing all of the societal milestones. And that moment for me was like a big aha moment of, ah, okay, we've been trying to play this game and bad things still happen. And we see on Instagram all the time, these like little quotes of like, life is short, like do what you love. And I think it was only really in that moment that I realized the true weight of those words. And I was like, oh, all the cheesy Instagram stuff of like, this isn't a dress rehearsal, this is for real. And that was a pivotal moment for me to start really reassessing all the different parts of my life and being like, does this work? Is this what I want to do until like forever? If I was to, if something was to happen to me tomorrow, would I be proud of what I've done and how I've used my time? And lots of my life, thankfully, was, you know, in alignment with how I wanted to be living. But there was also a few parts that weren't. And career was a big one for me where that was, like I say, I'd had this niggle for a little while, but that was the moment where I was like, I cannot keep doing this forever. I just can't keep coming to an office. And and it, it was hard because it wasn't that I like despised the work that I was doing. I had a great team and I worked like, you know, I had good opportunities and I was good at the work, but it just never felt like my thing, if that makes sense. And it was scary because I didn't have any idea of what my thing was or what that would look like. But I think that was really the moment for me where I was like, I've got to start committing to finding out what this is instead of hoping that the next job that I apply for on LinkedIn will be the thing. And with that, because you, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you have this good girl mentality, which I can definitely, I definitely see myself in that as well. And you sometimes talk about, you know, having always pursued the sensible option or other people, you know, having kind of given you recommendations of like, this is the sensible option. And you said mm -hmm. that, you know, at the time, maybe you didn't know it, but it did feel like you were making decisions against your gut, but you didn't have the confidence to challenge their advice. Yeah. So how did you move from, you know, being like, this is the sensible option, this is the right thing to do, to then completely shifting your mindset and saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find the thing, I'm going to step away. Did you just stop caring what other people essentially thought? No, <laughs> I think that's still <laughs> something I struggle with, you know, now. And I think, I don't think I've met many people who don't struggle with that fear. In fact, with my coaching clients, the number one thing we talk about is fear of judgment, fear of other people's opinions. And I definitely still feel that. I think looking back, a big shift for me was starting to surround myself with people who were perhaps doing things a little bit differently because at that moment in time, you know, like my mum worked for the same bank for her entire life. Like my sister is a teacher. Lots of my best friends are management consultants or marketeers. I don't have lots of people who are you know, doing things a little bit differently or, you know, building a business or creating their own job title. And so a big first step for me was just finding ways to surround myself with other people doing that. So I'm sure like lots of people listen to this. I like binge listened to loads of podcasts from people who were doing that. I got a coach who was brilliant in just sort of advocating and giving me a bit of a permission slip to explore some different things. 
I, you know, reached out to some people in my local area who were starting small businesses or, you know, doing some like, I don't want to say networking because I have a real specific vision when Mm -hmm. I hear the word networking, but essentially it was, you know, going for a coffee with people and asking how they did things. And I think that really helped me because that gave me a bit of a permission slip just to see that it was possible. I think a big part of, you know, we hear that phrase all the time of you can't be what you can't see. And a big part of me following the path that I did initially was just because that was all that I had seen. Like no one comes to school and says, you know, comes to the careers fair and says like, you can make up your own job and it's great. Everyone's like, you know, go and work in the public sector or go and work for this big corporate company. And I think that was a big part was just starting to see what was possible. And then I think I really had to do the work on me feeling convinced that this was the right thing. And there was a lot of stuff around digging into my values, digging into what really drives me, like starting to realize that for me, some of my biggest values are things like freedom, connection, doing work that makes an impact. And as soon as I started to realize that, I could just see why I had been so unhappy in these jobs that on paper, people were saying to me like, that's amazing. You know, congratulations. You just had another promotion. And now I can look back and see like, I was never, ever going to be happy, no matter how far up that food chain I got, because I was still a small cog in a big machine and I had no autonomy or freedom. And I didn't really feel like I was contributing or making a wider impact. So I think the more I could stand in my conviction of these are what my values are, and this is why, the more I sort of built up a bit of armor to other people's opinions because I could really start to see like that there is not a job that you can tell me that I can go and do that is going to feel good if it doesn't tick these boxes. And was this transition gradual or did you kind of do it in one go? No, it was very gradual because, you know, going back to that good girl mentality, I'm very risk averse and I'm the breadwinner in my marriage as well. As you can probably see from the many guitars behind me, my husband is a musician, which is very sort of, you know, up and down work. And so I knew that I couldn't just sort of like hand my notice in and take the whole YOLO approach. So like I say, I started working with a coach in the back end of 2017. And that really helped start getting clear on what I really wanted to do. That's when I started retraining as a coach and delve in a little bit more into this I'd done a lot of leadership work in previous roles and it was one of those things that as I started to unpick my values I could see like oh that's why I've always loved like the self-development side of management and that's why I've always loved learning about NLP and the best ways to motivate people and as I started to peel that back I decided I wanted to do some more training so I did that I started my coaching practice and my podcast and it was very gradual and actually in the interim between sort of like deciding that corporate life wasn't for me and taking the leap, I actually started a new role, which I remember at the time thinking like, is this the right thing to do? Because I know it's not the long game, but it really equipped me with a lot of confidence. I think I'd been at some big corporates where that confidence had really been drained out of me because you are just sort of, you know, quietened by the management speak and the strategy and there was very little room to sort of be authentic and so going to a smaller tech startup having a bigger team to manage doing lots of the sort of leadership stuff there really helped me to build that confidence up that you know I've got quite a lot of autonomy and responsibility here so maybe running my own business will you know work and it will 
grow and it will move forwards. And it was actually only in November last year that I took the leap and took my business full time. So it was very gradual. It wasn't an overnight thing at all. But I think that was really the best way for me to do it because come November last year, you know, there was still a lot of fear and there was still a lot of like, am I allowed to do this? And, you know, am I going to be sort of trawling LinkedIn for another job come the new year? But it actually, I had, I did have a lot more confidence than I ever would have done if it had been an overnight thing. And I want to dive into fear a little bit because that's something you talk about as well and have just recently mm. talked about it as well of how it actually can be a really big motivator or a yeah. really big source of inspiration. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, do you know, fear, like I said, it's something that comes up time and time again. And I think when I look back, it's something that's held me back a lot because I have always had a lot of fear of like failure, of vulnerability, a lot of fear of success, I think as well of like, what if this goes really well? What does that mean for my life and my relationships and all that kind of thing? And I think fear had always been a sort of barrier for me and something that happened when, you know, at that that pivotal moment when I started to realize gosh, this isn't a dress rehearsal and this is what's, you know, this is real life and none of us know how long we've got here. Something that kept coming back to my mind was like, what is scarier? Is it scarier to be judged by someone, to, you know, face up to someone else's opinions? Is it scarier to fail or is it scarier to get to 80 and be like, I lived a half life and that wasn't, you know, I wasn't bold enough in that. And I think often I talk to my clients a lot about how fear actually can sometimes be a really good symbol that we are on the right track. I think when we do things without any fear, we often don't care that much about it. It's not Mm -hmm. something that, you know, we're that bothered about what the outcome is going to be. Like I always liken it to when you go on a first date with your partner, you don't feel like this is, you know, all easy breezy and lovely. There's always this like what if they don't like me? And am I wearing the right thing? And what if we don't have anything to talk about? There's always that element of fear for anything that we care about, anything that we're invested in. And so now I try to really reframe that as like, this fear shows me that I'm on the right track. And this is something that means that I'm invested in this and I care about making it happen. I can think of loads of times when I've perhaps gone for job interviews and not felt that you know nervous or not felt any of that anxious pressure because ultimately I didn't care that much about the outcome whereas that fear can sometimes be a good reminder to keep going and to just show up anyway. You also said something that was quite interesting around you know the the fear of success of like well what happens if it goes really well and it's something that I think we all do to some extent of like well what's the worst case scenario right if we if we can deal with the worst case scenario then the whole thing can't be that scary But I also sometimes wonder to what extent that sets us up to expect less of a situation because Mm -hmm. we don't think of, well, what if everything goes according to plan? What if everything works out really, really well? And almost this this fear of change, but in a very positive way, but where I think more wired to constantly think about sort of the, well, what if this goes wrong? What if what if this doesn't work? And following on from that, what what does it actually mean to to find joy in the everyday? So I think it means something different to everybody. Ultimately, I think it is about living a life in, in total alignment with our values. I think that's how I always start doing this work with clients is getting clear on what it is that really drives them and looking at where their life is in and out of alignment with that so that we can start to pivot and change and redirect to 
bring it more in line with those values. And I think that's why it is always so hard to pinpoint because what those values are, are different to all of us. Essentially for me, joy feels like being able to be our most authentic selves, knowing that we aren't compromising any part of ourselves, knowing that we can show up and genuinely enjoy our day to day. And, you know, of course, we can't feel 100% joyful or 100% like we're enjoying something all of the time. But I think when we are living in alignment with those values, even when times are tricky, it's a little bit easier to keep going because we know what the end goal is and we know that it's worth it. I think that's the real difference with, you know, like from a work perspective, there are some days where I have lots of admin to do, or I need to have a tricky conversation with a client, or I might feel quite like, you know, drained after lots of client conversations, but I always still know like deep down that that is joy work because it's work that feels like I'm having an impact. It's work that's connecting with people. It's work that gives me the freedom that I want. Whereas beforehand, you know, I was feeling burnt out and stressed and overtired and I wasn't getting any of the joy at the other end of it. And when you talk about kind of living life on purpose, I think there's so much, there's just so much to unwrap here that I want to chat Mm -hmm. about. But, you know, when we talk about values and joy and purpose, I think there are terms that we hear quite a bit, but actually when we sit down and I know it's very specific to the individual that you're working with, um, Mm. but for someone who's like, okay, you know, I keep hearing about values and being in align with my values, but how do I even start to, to identify those values? How do you walk someone through that? So there are a number of exercises that we do, but essentially it's delving into like taking some of that conscious thinking away. So we'll talk about when a client has been like the five happiest moments from the previous year or the things they're proudest about or when they felt most in flow and you know felt lots of ease. We talk about the things that they want people to say about them when they're not in the room or the things that like if they won the lottery tomorrow, they would still go out there and do. And by doing that, by having those conversations, we start to tap into, like start to take some of the ego away because I think when we are just focused on like, what we want to achieve or like what we want other people to see about us, we our ego can really start to get a bit excited and think like, oh, I always talk about shiny magpie syndrome with goals. Like I want to achieve that and I want to take that course and I want to do this thing and actually just stripping it back and coming back to authentically, what are your happiest moments? Not other ones that like looked best on Instagram or got the most likes or, you know, similarly with proudest achievements, not the things that Perhaps your mum has got the photo of on her (laughs) mantelpiece, but actually, what do you feel most proud of? We start digging into those questions and then starting to look at any key themes or patterns that come up. And like I say, doing some of that stuff helps us to really connect with truly what feels good to us, truly what feels, you know, what are the things that keep coming up? And it is different for everybody. I always find this work so interesting to do because there are always some similarities like freedom is one that comes up a lot because I think if people are thinking about working with a coach, there's usually something that they want to change and freedom feels very, it feels like something that we all want more of, but it's always really interesting to see what other things start to come up. And I think it really is about doing this work to separate what we've been taught to believe and what we actually truly believe or what actually truly resonates with us and feels like yep, that's me. Like I always say, we should get to the point where we've got sort of like five or seven core values that when you look at them, you're like, that is a perfect snapshot 
of who I am and what I stand for and what gets me excited. And it can take a little bit of a while because, like I say, we've been sort of conditioned to believe lots more money will make you happy or a certain job title will make you happy or living in a certain place. But truly, we all are driven by different things and we all have a different sort of personal route map in these values. And it's tapping into those that helps us start to separate what's going to really light up our true self versus perhaps what might make our ego a little bit excited. I think it's an also a very interesting time. I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about Instagram and how it's just the highlight reel. But I think something we also underestimate with it is that we're constantly confronted with other people's goals yep. and other people's values. And I do sometimes find it quite difficult to distinguish between okay, does this just look really good or is this actually something that that resonates with me? So with kind of this terminology of like what, what resonates with you, do you have any do you have any exercises you do to figure out, okay, does this actually resonate with me or is this something that just looks really, really good on the outside, but without trying out, I don't really know if I'll like it or not? Yeah, so we always start with those values with any big decisions. So really coming back to like on paper, is this something that ticks these things? And, you know, does this job fit these values or is it going to compromise them? So that would always be a first point. Another thing that I always encourage people to do is to experiment, like you've just said, because I think what we are sort of in a bit of a strange culture of at the moment is this like culture of optimization and trying to get this like sort of perfect routine or schedule or perfect way of doing something. And I think what that is leading lots of us to do is almost take less time in the experimenting and the feedback from ourselves and more time in just sort of trying to research the very best way of doing something. Just like when you are booking like a holiday, for example, you would research, okay, where do I want to eat? And what's the best hot like hotel to stay in? And you can do all of that digging online. I think a lot of us are sort of led to try and do that for ourselves and try to think of like, you know, try and find the best morning routine or the best exercise routine or the best, you know, diet plan we should follow. And there is so much information on the internet that we can go down an absolute rabbit hole with all of that stuff. And I think what I always encourage people to do is A, acknowledge that we're human and there is no one size fits all. So just because your best friend or that person on Instagram really found this morning routine to be amazing doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you've done it wrong. If it doesn't work for you, that's just because we're human and we're different and we're not robots. But also to try and build in a bit of a feedback loop. And so like, do you remember like studying science at school and you would write a hypothesis of like, I think when I do X, Y will happen. And that is how I try to get people to set up these little experiments of like, I think I will feel better if I exercise three days a week. So this week I'm going to try it, but there's no room for failure there because if I try it and it doesn't feel great and it's making me stressed out to try and find the time or I'm struggling to get that into my schedule, that isn't failure. That is just feedback about how we can better set up that experiment the next time. And I think it's some of that nuance that is important in terms of really feeling and leaning into that joy because we have such high expectations of ourselves to get something right overnight and really being able to say, okay, like, I think if I take this course, this is going to feel like a good fit for me. But if I get it wrong, that isn't a failure. That is just some feedback and some data and some information that will help me make a better decision next time. I really love that idea of setting up a hypothesis in terms of just, okay, what do I actually 
hope or predict will happen to see yeah. whether or not it does. Because I do think you're so right. Like a lot of times we'll do something and then get really disappointed, but we weren't actually aware of what it was that we hoped for yeah. as to why we're, why we're disappointed. And I think now more than ever, one of the things you also talk about is that the ordinary can be quite extraordinary. So how do you go about doing that when, you know, with, with lockdown and people working from home, we, we chatted about this a little bit before our call, everything seems to be quite similar. Yeah. So how do you create these extraordinary moments, these peak moments in the ordinary day to day? Yeah. Do you know, it's interesting because I've been having this conversation, this specific conversation with lots of clients this week. And we've been talking about how one of the, the real pivotal things I believe in terms of feeling joyful or feeling stuck in that comparison cycle is whether we focus on what we can control or not. And so often we focus on what we can't control. We can't control the outcomes necessarily all of the time, or we can't control what's going on around us. And I think this year has been like, the ultimate lesson in that, hasn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> none of us have got a plan sorted out. And I think so often we focus on that and we focus on, oh, like I should have been on that trip this week or like my friend should have been getting married this weekend. And we feel the like sense of loss instead of turning our attention to what we can control. And for me, that has been my like absolute lifeline throughout lockdown is just saying like, yeah, sure. We were meant to be in New York having this amazing weekend and we can't go there. But what we can do is make dinner really fancy and lay the table and light the nice candles and get dressed up. Or, you know, I can't see my family in person, but what we can do is organize a Zoom call with everybody. Or like I started um, writing letters to like my little nieces and nephews and being pen pals mm -hmm. with them. And rather than feeling downbeat about what hasn't happened and letting that consume you. And of course there is like, you know, some natural room for grieving old goals and grieving plans that perhaps haven't come to light, but not becoming so bogged down in that, that we miss out on the moment. And for me, it's always coming back to what have I got control of and how can I make that like 110%? Amazing. It's something that you also learned though, right? Because I know yeah. that, you know, you talked about this as you come across as really positive and always kind of seeing seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but you didn't always have that attitude. So if you want to just talk me through how you got there. Yeah. So I never used to be like, like I used to be quite pessimistic and I would now say like, I do feel like a natural optimist, but I didn't for a really long time. My response was always like, like, I hate thinking about it now, but I was very like whiny and very why me? Like, why is this happening to me? Like I have played all the cards right. So there are a few things like, like I said, in previous roles in my corporate career, I got to learn quite a lot about NLP. And the first time I learned- Do you want to just define what NLP is yeah. for anyone who doesn't know? So NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. And it basically, you know, talks about the premise that our brains have what is called neuroplasticity. So they are malleable, like Play-Doh. We can form them into different shapes. We can rewire those neural pathways. The way that we automatically think, our automatic thoughts don't always have to be that way. We can start to rewire them. And lots of companies and, um, you know, management training programs will talk about it because it's, you know, a great way of getting better performance out of staff and, you know, encouraging them and motivating them. And when I first started learning about that, I, that was when I first started realizing like, oh, like I have some personal autonomy in this. Like this isn't just about like, oh, it's my personality. Like I can really lean into and choose whether I want to make this a good situation or a bad situation and 
whether I want to see the silver lining or whether I want to see just the huge, big gray cloud. And so first starting to learn about that was really important. And then I think also experiencing grief and loss that genuinely felt to me like, okay, like we're here, we're here now. And this is like all with the time we've got. This is the only time that is guaranteed to us. And so how do we really start to make the best of that? And I think realizing and seeing like some of my family still finding joy in little moments and seeing the strength and the resilience that that brought really inspired me to start thinking, okay, bad stuff happens, but you can recover. And I think beforehand, you know, going back to fear, I was so scared of like, I had so much anticipatory fear of if something bad happens, how will this feel? Or if this is taken away from me, how will it feel? And experiencing something like that almost gives you a like extra coat of armor of the bad thing happened and I'm still here and I'm still like getting up each morning. And that for me is a real like sense of inspiration to draw on and think like, yeah, bad stuff happens. But even on like the very worst days, I could still hear like my little cousins laughing or I might get like a really nice text from a friend. And it's understanding and knowing that we have the choice of what to focus on. And I think the more and more you start to focus on the good stuff. And like, I talk a lot about gratitude and I think it gets a bit of a bad rep these days because I think it's become (laughs) like very mainstream and, you know, you go into paper chasing, there's like 12 different gratitude journals. It's become very commercialized, but it has been a really pivotal tool for me is focusing on what I am grateful for. Because I think beforehand, I used to always be sort of looking outside of myself for like, what's next? What's next? Like, what has everybody else got? Where do I need to get to? And I can see now that that only ever made me miserable. It only ever made me feel, you know, unsatisfied. Whereas starting with what am I grateful for? What feels really good today? Even on the trickiest days, I can be like, do you know what? I'm waking up in a lovely home and I've got a really great partner and my family is so supportive and, you know, everything might be feeling hard, but I've still got these foundational things that make me really lucky. And I think the more we start to focus on what we do have, the more our brain starts to respond and show us all of the other brilliant things. It's like a muscle. It's really starting to practice it. And it does, you know, I'm proof that it does become second nature because this never used to be my natural way of thinking. I think it's the visual or the metaphor that's quite often used in NLP is this, you know, walking through walking through a field and the first time you walk through it you don't really leave a path but the more you kind of walk through that exact same path you start you know creating creating a path with that though you know autopilot and having these I would say you know maybe negative thought patterns that come quite natural or not necessarily natural they've just become kind of second nature already because we've practiced them so much how in that initial period of changing did you have ways to call yourself out or did you have ways to kind of snap out of it, become very conscious of those things to then actively kind of rewire and put down other pathways that you wanted to put down? Yeah, I think there was some things around habits. So something that I did every single day for a really long time was at the end of each day, writing a few things that I was grateful for, but also writing a few things that I'd done well that day, because I think starting to build that muscle of focusing on the things that we've done well, just in you know, Mm -hmm. instead of just the things that have perhaps not gone to plan. So building that as a habit and almost like a non-negotiable. And another thing that was really important for me was like building in a bit of a reflection loop. And I did that in a few different ways. So 
like I said, I've worked with like coaches and mentors who might help you pick up on and help you spot some of those negative thought patterns and challenge them, which was really useful, but also in like personal reflection. So journaling, checking in, and I've done this in different ways throughout the years. At the moment, I do, you know, daily journaling because I just, I think it's like free therapy and I love it. And it helps me to stop like to shake out of whatever mood I wake up in. But, you know, when I was working full time, I might have done it like once a week and done a bit of a check in on what's gone well, what didn't go so well, how could I have done things a little bit differently so that I was almost starting to notice my behaviors and notice like the patterns and the consequences of certain ways of thinking. Because I really think a lot of the time it's the awareness. We just, we've been modeled a certain way of being. And it's only once you start to notice like, ah, that's a belief system. That's not a fact. That's a question I ask clients all the time when they tell me something I'm like is that fact or is that like a belief or a story that you've been told and it's amazing when you start to realize like 97% of what we think is true is actually a story or a, a belief that we've acquired and so I think that reflection really helped me to just like you said before like take a step back from autopilot and just go how have I felt this week and what have been the triggers and what have been the patterns and how might I do it differently if that was to happen again before we kind of wrap things up, one of the topics I do want to dive into is beliefs, right? You just kind of mentioned about the stories that we tell ourselves. Limiting beliefs, I think, is one of those terminologies we hear quite a bit as well now. Yeah. But breaking that down, what does that actually mean to you? And how do you kind of see that play out in your clients in terms of, as you just mentioned, bringing them to awareness, realizing that, oh, actually, this is this is something that I'm holding on to that's actually not helping me mm -hmm. and then overcoming that. So limiting beliefs are beliefs or stories that we tell ourselves that limit us in some way. And they're usually acquired in childhood or teenage years or young adulthood. And often they are acquired either because that's something that has been told to us by a person in authority. So teachers or parents or guardians or because we like we've, it's something we've assumed about ourselves from other people's behavior and how they've reacted to us. And often we just go through life believing these things about us. So like I'm thinking about a client who she spent a load of time telling me like, oh, I'm really shy. Like I could never stand up and present at work. Like that's just, you know, I'm just so, so shy. And when we started to dig into it, she had been like rewarded as a child for being the quiet one. And her mum would always say like, oh, she's no bother. She keeps herself to herself. And so she'd built this belief system that it was good to be quiet and that it wasn't okay to take up any space. And I always share a story. I had a limiting belief around like I was bad at exercise because I had a PE teacher in my high school who was just sort of like, I didn't get on with and she'd always give me quite negative feedback. And so I absorbed this belief that that was not something that I was good at. And the way I sort of try to work through the limiting beliefs with people is a spot in them. And I think so often they're really easy to spot as an outsider because people believe in them so strongly that they're sharing them all the time. They're like, I just never finish anything that I start or I'm just not very confident or I'm not great at that. And they're always very sort of binary. It's never like, I'm sometimes good at this or sometimes not. It's very extreme of like, I'm great at it or I'm terrible at it. So first of all, identifying them and then walking through a bit of a process of A, like I just said, is this fact or fiction? And really sort of delving into and challenging, like, do we have any reason to believe that this is a fact? Like, has a doctor signed you off as being, you know, 
unable to exercise or has like a person in power really sort of, you know, signed and credited that this is a thing about you. And so often it's, you know, not. And then once we accept that, okay, it's a belief, the next question that I ask people is like, okay, so if that's a belief, what else could be true? If we're choosing to believe this thing, what else might we choose to believe that is more positive and looking out there for other things that could be true? And then finally, once we've found a couple of other beliefs, trying to find some evidence for those beliefs. So have we got any sort of like evidence that we can find that backs that up? So an example, something I've talked with a lot of clients about during the last couple of months is my clients who run small businesses were saying, well, coronavirus is just terrible for small businesses. Like it means my business is going to fail. And when we looked at whether it was fact or fiction, like, yeah, there were some like news headlines that said it was bad for business, but it wasn't like there was no sort of like law that said this meant all small businesses had to close down. It was a belief. And then when we looked at were there other things that we could believe to be true, we could see that like lots of other small businesses were thriving or like it was a great time to adapt or it was a great time to pivot and, you know, build stronger foundations. And then when you start to look for evidence of the other things, like there's always lots of evidence out there of like, you know, brands that had, you know, pivoted into something differently and had this huge overnight success or people who'd taken this as an opportunity to reconnect with their customers in a new way and choosing to focus in on the good news stories and the evidence of the other beliefs. Because I think what is so tricky about those beliefs is they really determine what our brain chooses to show us. It determines, you know, our brains are almost like magnets. And if we're saying, I'm really bad at this, they will show us all of the reasons and all of the evidence that we're bad at something. Whereas if we you know, choose to believe that we're going to be great at something, it will look for all of the opportunities and evidence that backs that up. And I think starting to challenge and just choose what else could I choose to believe to be true about this can really start to open up our mind to lots of different possibilities. I think it's an interesting one because a lot of the times when I talk about this, one of the reactions I get is like, well, but, you know, then you're like picking and choosing what you believe in. And, you know, I'm not negative. I'm being realistic. And what I find quite interesting is, I mean, this is, you know, you know all this, but like the confirmation bias of, well, actually, we tend to always seek out the things that confirm our belief systems anyways. So, you know, we might as well choose to look out for the good ones and not just the bad ones and really creating that evidence. I think... One of the examples that really stuck with me is this whole idea of, you know, when you when you were looking to buy a new car or you really like a car color. I swear to God, London is full of minis. It's the only car (laughs) I see because (laughs) I love minis. And it's just I couldn't tell you what other cars there are on the streets, but there's tons. And so it is it's really just finding that evidence and and really almost deciding, bringing it back to this realization we have autonomy over our thoughts, bringing it back to. I'm going to choose what I focus on yeah, and, and kind of bringing that, bringing that evidence into it. To wrap things up, I always like to ask five questions. And the first one is, I know you're, you could, you could tell me multiple. You don't have to choose just one. I know <laughs> this one's going to be difficult for you. Um, but what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? So I'm going to be really cheeky and choose three, if that's okay. So see, I knew it. <laughs> The first was Daring Greatly by Brené Brown, which I'm sure lots of people will have come across. But particularly in the work that I do talking about joy, that book was just like, it like cracked my heart open and put it back together. It's so much about, you know, opening ourselves up to vulnerability and leaning into fear and 
letting go of some of the shame. I think that was just such a game changer for me. In terms of professional success and you know putting ourselves out there a big one for me that I recommend to I think I think I've recommended this book to every client I've ever worked with is Playing Big by Tara Moore she really delves into a lot of the psychological reasons why we perhaps don't play big at work and take up the space that we should but also lots of the cultural reasons as well which I find really interesting she talks a lot about how particularly as women you know we only have felt safe within our society in like the last you know 50 to 100 years and how that culturally impacts the space that we take up. And it's just such an interesting read. And she has some great like visualization exercises in there as well, which if anyone is like looking for more clarity would be really useful. And then my final one, very related to what we've been talking about today is by Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant, and it's called Option B. And it's all about sort of finding joy in the face of adversity, essentially. And, you know, she talks about this idea of kicking the shit out of option B when option A is no longer available. And I think that was something that I'd sort of been putting into practice day to day, but seeing it like reading about that by like someone who is like so celebrated and, you know, has this huge career and seeing some of those theories and understanding why that was like a great way to build resilience seeing that written down on paper for me was just like such a lifeline at a time that I needed it. And I think even if you haven't had something that's like, you know, this huge big shakeup, well, actually, you know, we've all had this huge big shakeup to deal with this year. There's no one left on the planet who hasn't had to like deal with adversity in some form. And I think that book is a really great way of just reconnecting with how it's still okay to like find joy and how doing so can actually make us more resilient individuals. I feel like we should just match up book lists because those are all great, great books. The second one is what is your source of strength and or inspiration? So a big one for me is family. Like I'm always totally inspired. I think my family really do live authentically and they do keep choosing joy even when it is really, you know, it can be tricky to do so. And I think, you know, coming back to a lot of what we've talked about, that just remembering that life is short and like we literally you know we might only have this moment and keeping that front of mind for me really does help me check in with and go like oh yeah like when I'm 80 you know hopefully I'll get there when I'm like 80 or 90 looking back on my life this is not a thing that I'm going to care about anymore you know remembering that being able to almost zoom out and think that's given me the conviction to put that boundary in place or turn that opportunity down because even though right now my ego is going like, yay, do it, do it, do it. This sounds exciting. Being able to think, is this really going to be the most important thing when I zoom out? Is this the best use of my time? Feels like a a good check-in point. And following on from that, what is your secret to success? I think it really is coming back to like doing something that you love because I had on paper a really successful life before I started messing everything around and turning everything upside down. You know, if you'd have like looked at my LinkedIn profile or like, you know, seen how I was living my life, it, it looked very successful and it never felt successful to me. It felt like even on the very best days, I was like only getting up to like 60% of like, you know, my joy or fulfillment. And so it sounds really cheesy, but I really think living a successful life is about identifying what feels good to you and shaping life around that. Which brings me to the fourth question, which is what is your definition of success? 
for me, it is being able to live in a way that feels really joyful. And like I say, like we all have days where we're a little bit grumpy or a little bit moody, but I have like a sense of like peace and contentment that I know that this is how I'm supposed to be living out these days. And I've never had that before making this change. And I think for me, that really is like my definition of success is I obviously have goals and I want to like grow and develop and keep learning new things, but I no longer feel this like desperate need to tip everything upside down. I feel quite peaceful and at ease with where I'm at at the moment. And lastly, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently? So I had to think about this one for a while, but I think what I kept coming back to was A, that resilience and persistence is key. I think, you know, we talked about earlier on, this took me a really long time to make this shift. It wasn't an overnight thing, but continuing to be resilient, continuing to be persistent is what pays off. I always say to clients, like the difference between the people who we look up to and admire and the people that we perhaps don't is that they just stayed the course and they kept showing up. And I think the other thing that I would say is confidence is end rather than, you know, given and it's end through taking action. So just keep taking action, even though you don't feel ready for it, even though it feels scary and stay really curious about what the action is teaching you. I could just uh, chat for hours. (laughs) If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? So I'm at Sophie Cliff just about everywhere. I'm on Instagram. Um, My website is sophiecliff.com. And I also have my podcast that I talked about earlier on, which is Practical Positivity. And you can Google that wherever you're listening to this podcast and you should be able to find it. And I'll link everything in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been so lovely to delve in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If this is your first time listening to the Modern Day Rebels podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It's free and means you will receive new episodes right as they come out. Please do share episodes you love and that inspire you with your friends, family, and colleagues because the only way to tackle taboos is to talk more about the things we're not supposed to talk about. If you want to take a deeper dive into the topics we explore and talk about in this podcast, you can subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter. The link is in the show notes. See you in two weeks.